John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. And this morning we pray that you would teach us Help us to see who we are in Christ and the blessings given to us in the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In the second century, around 155 AD, two slaves were captured. One of them broke down under torture and revealed the location of the farm where the church father Polycarp was staying. When soldiers arrived on horseback to seize him, Polycarp refused to run. Instead, he offered his captors hospitality and food, requesting only that he be allowed an hour for prayer. When they agreed, Polycarp prayed so earnestly that one hour became two, and several of the soldiers regretted their role in his arrest. They then put Polycarp on a donkey and led him back into the city. 
he was brought before the proconsul, who urged him to deny his faith and bow down before the emperor. Polycarp declared, 86 years I have been his servant, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? We are not accustomed to repent of what is good in order to adopt that which is evil. Once more, the proconsul urged Polycarp to swear by Caesar. And this time, Polycarp replied, Since you pretend not to know who and what I am, hear me declare with boldness, I am a Christian. And if you wish to learn more about Christianity, I will be happy to make an appointment. Furious, the proconsul said, Don't you know I have wild beasts waiting? I'll throw you to them unless you repent. Polycarp answered, Bring them on, for we are not accustomed to repent of what is good in order to adopt that which is evil. Next, the proconsul threatened to burn him alive. To this, Polycarp replied, you threaten me with fire, which burns for a little while and is soon extinguished. You do not know the coming fire of judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. What are you waiting for? Do what you wish. They bound his hands behind him. Polycarp offered a praise of thanksgiving to God. And then he suffered death by fire and sword for his confession. What an amazing testimony of a man who stood firm to the end. But now, why do I share this story as a way to introduce this passage about abiding in Christ? Well, one of the reasons is that we as Christians have the wrong idea when we think about fruit. When we think about fruitfulness, we often think about external success. We, we often speak of people who have a fruitful ministry, and in our minds we're thinking of many followers, many converts. But the biblical teaching of fruit doesn't talk about that type of success. Fruit in the Bible is often more associated with holiness and Christ-likeness of character. And this is what we see in Polycarp. Even though these men were going to kill him, he loved his enemies and offered hospitality and food. In a moment of extreme trial, he didn't ask to be released. He asked for time to pray. He stood firm and he did not deny his Lord. And what's really interesting is that that name, Polycarp, means much fruit in Greek. Poly, much, carp, carpus, fruit. Polycarp bore much fruit in his life. He was able to withstand intense persecution not because he was a strong man, 
not because of anything within him, but because he was abiding in Christ. And in our passage this morning, Jesus tells his disciples that they can do nothing apart from him and that the fruit that would come in their lives would only come if they remained attached to him like a branch on a vine, drawing nourishment and life and energy from him. And so the main point, what I hope you see in the text this morning is this. True disciples have fruitful lives because they abide in Christ. True disciples have fruitful lives because they abide in Christ. Well, remember this scene. Jesus has told his disciples that he's going away, that they, could, they cannot come with him. And they ask him why. And then he gives them a new commandment to love one another. And then he tells them that he's going to be with them just in a different way. That he was going to send the spirit who would remain with them. He's trying to comfort their troubled hearts. They were worried about what they were going to do without him. And Jesus gives this last and final I am saying. Remember, he has said all throughout the Gospel of John these different I am sayings. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. And these, these saints have, uh, uh, Jesus is, is, is using these saints as a deliberate way to tell his disciples that the God whom you worship, Jehovah, the, the great I am, that's me. And now he says, I am the true vine. Look at verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Some people have suggested that since there were vineyards close to the upper room, or, or maybe because Jesus in the upper room instituted the Lord's Supper, that the idea of a vine was in everyone's head, and, and that's why Jesus calls himself the true vine. But there's nothing, nothing in the scriptures that suggests that. But more likely, Jesus was pointing back to the Old Testament. This would have been very familiar to the disciples. That image of a vine shows up in many passages, such as Psalm 80, Isaiah 5, chapters 15 and 17, and Ezekiel. And every time the image of a vine is used, it's in reference to the people of Israel who failed at bearing fruit. In Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. 
We have this picture of a, a gardener who goes into his vineyard looking for fruit, looking for grapes. And yet, what does he find? Wild grapes. Israel had failed God and sinned against him. This is the point. Every time where that word vine is mentioned in the Old Testament, it's in the negative. It's associated with failure and sin. Israel was a fruitless vine. And yet, Isaiah spoke of another vine. In, in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And then Isaiah 53, verse 2, talking about the suffering servant, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. And here, in chapter 15, Jesus says, I am that shoot from the stump of Jesse. I am that young plant. I am the true vine. What Jesus is saying here is, I am the true Israel. Where the old covenant people failed, I will be faithful. I will bear fruit. I will do what Israel failed to do. Jesus is the faithful and obedient vine that bears fruit. So in this metaphor, in John chapter 15, he says he is the vine and you are the branches. He's talking about our union with him. Remember last week, we learned in, in John chapter 14, verse 20, Jesus says that his disciples would have a new relationship with him through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, you and me and I and you, all believers in Jesus have this special union. The Apostle Paul uses the expression being in Christ. This is the New Testament's most common way of describing Christians. In Christ. In Christ. We see it show up over 160 times in the New Testament. And it's this beautiful picture of our relationship with Jesus because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We are attached to Jesus. We draw life and energy from him. And so if you are a Christian, that is a fundamental truth about you. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Think about it. Once you were outside of Christ, without hope, without God, but what Jesus has done has brought you in, in Christ, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So my question for you this morning is, are you in that kind of relationship with Jesus? Are you attached to him? Jesus is the vine we are the branches, and Jesus calls the Father the vine dresser or the gardener. Behind every 
great garden is a great gardener. Anyone who knows anything about vineyards can tell you that they require a massive amount of care. Otherwise, they'll grow wild and become fruitless. And Jesus says here in verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So here we see that the Father, who is the gardener, works on both the fruitless and the fruitful branches. Pruning is an essential process in producing fruit. My family and I have been going to an apple orchard in Harvard, Illinois, for many years, and the youth group is going there today. And so I reached out to Dennis, who is my contact up at Royal Oak Orchard, and asked him, how important is it to prune apple trees? And Dennis said that it's extremely important. In fact, new fruiting buds won't grow unless you do. So left to itself, a vine will produce a large amount of unproductive growth. Leaves will grow and will end up wasting valuable energy. And so a skilled gardener will cut away at the branches that only produce leaves and not bear fruit in order for the branches that do bear fruit would bear more fruit. And so in this metaphor, Jesus says that the Father cuts off all the branches that don't bear fruit. This is in reference to people who aren't truly connected to Jesus. Now, Jesus is not saying that someone can have saving faith in him and then fall away. Jesus is not saying that people can lose their salvation. That's not what he teaches. What he's saying here is that there are always going to be people who profess faith in him and never really have it. They attend church. They do things that Christians do. But they aren't attached to Christ. They aren't drawing nourishment from the vine and producing fruit. And so this is a warning. It's a warning to all of us. It's a warning to not play the part. Judas is an example of a fruitless branch. He couldn't have been closer to Jesus in terms of appearance. But he couldn't have been further from Jesus in spiritual experience. While it looked like Judas was attached to Jesus, he was just a pretender. And unfortunately, there are many people like this in the church today, people who are pretending, but not truly Christians. They won't bear fruit, and the Father will cut them off. But Jesus also mentions branches that do bear fruit, and even though they bear fruit, they're not left alone. They're pruned. The point of pruning is to get the maximum amount of fruit from the vine. And so the skilled gardener will prune things from the branches that prevent growth. I have many indoor plants 
Some would say too many. And every once in a while, I need to remove the leaves that are turning yellow and throw them away in order for the greener, more fruitful leaves to flourish. And so here we see that not only the father removes the dead and the lifeless branches, but he also prunes the fruitful ones in order that they bear more fruit. In verse 3, Jesus tells his disciples, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. That word clean is the same word used for prune in verse 2. And so the disciples have been pruned by the words of Jesus. The word can have that effect on us, right? It reveals our sin and helps us see our need for Jesus. Think about the things in your life that prevent growth in Christ. There are yellow leaves that start to grow on every one of us. Sinful habits, worldliness, lack of love for Jesus, or lack of love for one another. And the Father comes, and he deals with those things with his pruning knife. And he cuts, and he cuts, and he cuts it away in order that we would bear more fruit. And pruning can be painful. God uses trials to come into our lives to help cut away these things. He uses times of disappointment, times of sorrow, times of sickness and suffering. And so what Jesus is saying here is that when you feel that pruning knife and you're led to ask why, why now? Why in this way? Remember, the Father is doing this in order that you would bear more fruit. He's doing it not to punish you, but because he loves you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 says this, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. All pruning seems painful, but it will produce fruit. Have you ever thanked God for the difficult providences in your life? He takes things away in order that you would not look to them but that you would look to Christ and abide in him and bear fruit. Those things that you've been looking at, those things that you're depending on have become idols in your lives. And God the Father comes to cut them away in order that you would draw your strength from Christ alone. This was a lesson that Amy Carmichael had to learn for herself as a missionary in India. She personally experienced much suffering. But reflecting on this passage in John chapter 15, she wrote this. 
What a waste it appears to be to see scattered on the floor the bright green leaves and the bare stem bleeding in a hundred places from the sharp steel. But with a tried and trusted vine dresser, there is not a random stroke in it all. Nothing cut away which would not have been lost to keep and gain to lose. And so she prayed, rid me, good Lord, of every diverting thing. May that be our prayer as the Father prunes us in order that we may bear more fruit. Jesus tells his disciples that they are clean. And then he says in verse 4, abide in me. Abide in me. That's the central word in this passage. But what does it mean to abide? Abide literally means to, to stay or remain. But sometimes it sounds kind of spiritual, like you just got to abide in Jesus. And some people think that to abide means to just relax and have some mystical experience. But abiding in Christ is not relaxing and doing nothing, saying, let go and let God. Abiding is an active thing. It involves believing. That's the whole point of the Gospel of John that you would believe and continue believing. But abiding is more than just believing. It means to relate to Jesus in the same way that a branch relates to the vine, to be attached and draw all life and strength from that vine. Jesus is saying here, abide in me. Stay close to me. Remain with me. Talk with me. Commune with me. Pray to me. In verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. He says here, if you don't abide, you won't bear fruit. But if you do abide, you will. In verse 5, he says, whoever abides in me will bear much fruit. Jesus points to himself as the source of a fruitful life. And then in verse 6, he says, if you don't abide in me, you will be thrown into the fire and burned. J.C. Ryle wrote this. Abiding in Christ leads to fruitfulness in this life and everlasting happiness in the life to come. But departure from Christ leads to the everlasting fire of hell. Fruitfulness depends on abiding in Christ. I mentioned this in the introduction, but the fruit that Jesus is talking about here has nothing to do with outward success but has to do with inward things, things like holiness and Christ-likeness, 
The, the fruits that Jesus is talking about here are things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, repentance toward God. These are the distinguishing marks of a living branch of the true vine. And then Jesus says in verse 5 that apart from him, you can do nothing. Now, Jesus isn't saying that you can't earn a living or raise a family or dunk a basketball without abiding in him. But you can't do anything of real, lasting, eternal significance unless you abide in him. We must abide in Jesus. Now, how do we do this? What does abiding in Jesus look like? I'm not sure if you've been, ever been in a Bible study where the person leading the study reads the passage and then turns to the group and says, what do you think? And then you have that one person that takes the opportunity and says, well, I like to think that abiding in Christ is what we think is not relevant We need to look to the scriptures for answers. And our thinking should be shaped by the Bible. And Jesus tells us what he means by abiding in this passage. First, if you abide in Jesus, you must abide in his words. Verse 7, if you abide in me, in my words, abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. How do I abide in Christ? I stay in his word. He says, and my words abide in you. So one practical way in which you can abide in Jesus is to be frequently reading and studying and meditating upon the Bible how will Jesus' words abide in you unless you read them? In order to abide in Christ, you need to be in the word. You need to find time to be in the Bible every day. It doesn't have to be in the morning, and it doesn't have to be long. But if you're serious about abiding in Jesus, you need to be serious about abiding in his word. And I know that some of you are in a season where your faith feels dry. Maybe you are in Christ, but you feel far from him. Are you abiding in his word? A lot of times people will talk about feeling distant from God or that God hasn't spoken to me in a while. And this is due to the fact that they've just stopped reading their Bibles. Through this book, God speaks to us. He encourages us. He teaches us truth and reminds us of his grace. The Bible exposes our sin, and it helps us grow in holiness. Now, I know there are times where you can be in the word and it still feels dry. 
I've been there. Well, Jesus says here, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So as you read his word, go to him in prayer and pray, Lord, please revive my soul with your word. It feels so dry right now. Make your word sweeter than honey in my mouth. Find some time to not only read the word, but also meditate on it. We should not only read the Bible, but we need to take some time to think about what we have read. That will help you think about it throughout the rest of the day. And so I know some of you are extremely busy, like the moms in this room. And so if you, you have only 10 minutes to read. Spend five minutes reading the Bible, and then the next five meditating, thinking about what you read. But you need to be in the word in order to abide in Jesus. When you abide in his word, Jesus abides in you. As the Apostle Paul said to the Colossians, I encourage you to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Abide in his word. We abide by staying in the word. Another way to abide in Jesus is to consider his love. In verse 9, he tells his disciples to abide in his love. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. You're not going to stay connected to Jesus in times of suffering or disappointment or temptation unless you know how deeply Jesus loves you. Stay close to the love of Jesus. He says, abide in my love. Do you understand what he's saying here? He's saying the way that you're going to bear fruit is if you are intentionally gospel-focused. Because that's what the love of Jesus is. It's the gospel. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus says, abide in my love. He's saying, preach the gospel to yourself every day. When you wake up in the morning, preach the gospel to yourself. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. How do I know that Jesus loves me? Because he died for me. Because he gave up his life for me. He shed his blood for me. And he did all this knowing who I am. Knowing my failures. Knowing all my mistakes. Knowing all my sin. In verse 13, he says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. This is the greatest act of love. Jesus laid down his life. He went to the cross and he died 
for our sins. Remembering the gospel, preaching it to ourselves all the time is a way to abide in Christ. It's not our love for God that keeps us abiding, but the reminder of his love for us. And you notice that there? He calls us friends. Friends. When we think about Jesus, we tend to think of him as the king, our Lord, our Savior. And yet we forget often that he has told us that for those who believe in him, he calls us friends. Look at verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus tells his disciples, since that he has revealed all that he had heard from the Father, that was proof that they were friends with him. That's what friends do, right? We share intimate, personal things with each other. And so if you are clinging to his word, if you are obeying his commandments, he says, you are my friends because I have made these things known to you. What an encouragement that Jesus is our friend. We abide in Christ by staying in his word, by preaching the gospel and remembering the love of Jesus and we also abide in Christ by obeying what Jesus has commanded. Remember what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 23. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my words. You abide in Jesus by obeying his words. Abiding in Jesus is not this passive, put on positive, encouraging, K-love, and wait until Jesus makes me feel all good inside. That's not what abiding in Jesus is. No, Jesus says in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. How do I abide in Christ? I seek to live in obedience to him. He says in verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus is repeating that commandment that he gave to them. And then he repeats it later on in verse 17. We are commanded to love one another as Christ has loved us to sacrificially serve others around us, to count them more significant than ourselves. And when we do that, when we love others in this way, like Christ has loved us, we are abiding in Jesus. And look at what happens when you abide. Verse 16 Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit 
and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. What happens? You bear fruit. That is the purpose of us being united to Jesus. And even the doctrine of election shows up in this verse. Jesus has chosen you and guarantees your fruitfulness. Why will you be fruitful? Not because of anything within yourselves. Why will you be fruitful? Because Jesus says he has chosen you. You did not choose him. He has appointed you that you would bear fruit. Ephesians 1.4 says the same thing. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. We were chosen before the foundation of the world in order that we would be holy and blameless. In other words, fruitful. God the Father wants to display his glory in the lives that he has joined to the Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose for being a branch attached to the true vine, being united to him, is that we would bring forth the fruit of holiness and Christ-likeness in our lives, and that this would result in the glory of God, that him be glorified and would prove that we are truly Christ's disciples. And so ask yourself this morning, Am I attached to the vine? Am I trusting in Jesus? Is there fruit in my life? If you're here this morning and you don't believe in Jesus, I urge you to believe in him. Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through him. There is no other way of salvation. And if you're here this morning and you know that you're just playing the part, pretending, hear the warning from Jesus that those who do not bear fruit, those who are not truly attached to Jesus, will be tossed out and burned. And what Jesus is talking about there is the reality of hell. So turn from your sin. Believe in Jesus while you have the time. To all those who are going to the apple orchard later today, keep in mind the reason that you're able to pick so many apples is because they prune those apple trees from December to March in order that there is an abundance of fruit. And so while you're at the orchard, consider your life. Are you abiding in Jesus? Do you see the fruits of the Spirit in your life? Is the Father pruning right now, removing things in your life that you know are hindering your growth in Christ? May the sight of those apple trees serve as a powerful reminder of the importance of staying connected to the true vine.
And for those here this morning who are in Christ and you are going through a serious trial, take heart. Take heart. It's good news that you're going through it. Because God the Father is trimming down. He's removing weeds and things that will hinder your growth for your good because he loves you and wants you to bear much fruit. Continue to abide in Jesus. Look very quickly at verse 11. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Who doesn't want joy? Especially full joy. Who doesn't want to have a joyful life? Where do you get joy? Not in yourself, but when you abide in Jesus. Remember that Jesus is the true vine. Abide in him. Dig deep into his word. Stay in the word. Remember the gospel. Abide in his love and live lives in obedience to the glory of God. Remember, Jesus says, you can do nothing apart from me. True disciples have fruitful lives because they abide in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus, who is the true vine. Lord, we confess that we are branches in need of pruning. Please come and prune us so that we can abide more and more in Jesus. Help us to abide. Help us to stay close to Jesus. And as we abide in him and bear fruit, may you receive all the glory in Jesus' name.